I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter, from their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. Still together, she's my best friend, and she knows when I'm up, when I'm down, she knows when I'm tired, she knows when I, she knows what I look like when I'm drunk and I'm bananas, she knows what I look like when <laughs> I'm sober, she knows what I look like when I'm tired, she knows what I look like when I'm a little pain in my, I'm a little pain, she knows every single facial expression that I make, she knows, she knows, she knows everything and she knows how to make me laugh and we've always had that laughter. Broadcaster and podcaster, Hector O'Huckagon is my guest this week. He talks to me about the crack of going to school with Tommy Tiernan and Dylan Moran, the loneliness that comes with losing your parents and how for him, there's simply no place like home. This season of the podcast has been brought to you by Aussie Hair. Episode 12, where... Has the time gone? One thing that I am very happy about is that the season started while we were still in lockdown and so I had ample time to look after my tresses with Aussie products from the SOS range to the treatment shots to the heat saviour spray and more. And now we're coming out the other side of lockdown and my hair is more than ready for meetups and gatherings and socialising. Aussie has been my hair saviour these past few months and I know I have sung their praises in every episode but I've truly meant it. I'm so grateful to Aussie for their support this season. Thank you to them. And now for my chat with Hector. I hope you enjoy. Hector O'Hochagon. Gormila Magadiran Machara Machraw. You are extremely welcome to the last of your life. Thank you. Gormila Magadiran. I feel like I insulted you there with the way I attempted your surname. I just like, I, I'm not a Gwailgor. Will you do it properly for me? No, but you did it perfectly there. Uh, I suppose it's a huckagon. When you have to spell it looking for car insurance or it's that time of the year when the house insurance is up, it's awful funny. I asked them specifically to put in the fathers. Put the father in. Hey, O, small H, capital E, O-C-H, A-G, a father, I-N. Let us never forget the power of the father. I know. My sister is Avian and has the father. And even, I think even for a while, she kind of stopped putting it in. And then she was like, what am I doing? Yeah, we need to get back to the power in the name of the father. Absolutely. Hector, you said to me a moment ago that we've never actually spoken. I beg to differ and I'd like to correct you on that. Okay. So a couple of years ago, before I was ever in radio, before I ever did any um, like social media, any of that stuff, there was this activation that was happening at the top of Grafton Street, right? And it was a red chair style thing, right? Super value, was it? Yes. So people could come up, sit on the chair, tell their story, and you either flung them backwards or you let them walk. So it was the Graham Norton chair. Yes. So I rocked up. I was like, sure, there was a prize. I can't remember what the prize was. Was it vouchers for Super Valley or something? So I rocked up and I sat up in the chair and I told you an L story. And if I remind you of the story, you might actually remember because you thought it was excellent and you allowed me to walk. Tell me the story. I got up and I said, Hector, I spent a couple of summers selling tickets to the Aran Islands down in Doolan in Clare. And you said, lovely, lovely part of the world. And I said, and there was one summer where I was just sick of being asked stupid questions over and over again. You know, like, if we do the Cliffs of Mower cruise, can we walk along the bottom of the cliffs and all these kinds of, and I was sick of it, right? So these Americans came in and they said, we um and I was on commission to sell tickets to the Iron Islands, right? I was on commission. So they came in 
and they said, we, um, we're really big U2 fans. And uh, we just, we're just wondering where here in Ireland is the Joshua tree. There's a tree on the front of their album and we want to go see this tree. Can you tell us where it is? So I was so fed up with the whole summer of being asked shy questions that I said, absolutely. It's on in a sheer six tickets, bish, bash, bosh, commission made, out they went to find the tree. And you loved my story, but obviously it didn't make a mark because you don't remember it. Fuck's sake, Darren. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I yeah. remember that evening. It was a sort of a seven o'clock in the evening stopping people randomly on the street. But Darren, that now I know I've met you before. Now I know we have a connection. And uh, I'm glad we had that connection. The Joshua Tree, they were, they were in a different continent. Yeah. What was the boat going out to the Iron Islands? The Tranquility. <laughs> was it? Or the Happy no, Hooker? No, it the was happy not. Hooker. It was the Happy Hooker. I lived on Inishman for an, almost two years. Inishman, of all, yeah. of all of them. Yeah, I lived on Inishman. I just, I had my Stone Roses t-shirts, my dungarees, my hair was long. It was like long now, like lockdown long. And I, I moved to the Iron Islands just to, to, to especially to Inishman with a couple of lads that I knew. Uh, and we, we rented a cottage there for almost two years on, on the slip down near the beach. What was it like? Oh, it was the most amazing time of my life. I would say it was paradise. One moment it was the Mediterranean. The winter times were tough. They didn't speak to me for five or six weeks. Uh, and when they did speak to me, they opened up the island to me. I painted a curragh one day with Pat John, the postman, and he asked me, well, do you know anything new? Are you doing anything today? I said, Neil, I was on the dole. And I'm getting my dole on the Iron Islands. It was heaven. And he said, and I went, so two o'clock that day, I arrived down to the local slip. There was five or six curraks there. We painted the curraks in the afternoon sun. And then he said, took my chocolate broad. He, he said, I'll bring you lobster, salmon, trout, whatever you need, sea trout, uh, monkfish. You have spuds up there. You have carrots in that field. Whatever you need, take. And the most amazing time. We had a great time on that island. We had a great time. They're a unique part of the world. And, and uh, uh, little did I think that I'd start working with TG. I moved from there to the Basque Country, but I got my job on TG Cahard and started getting into TV. And uh, I'm very proud that I speak the language of, of Ireland and the language of that. Of that. Uh, it's so, they speak such a beautiful way, uh, the words, there's different words between the three islands. I mean, Jerry Adams and the family would come out to Inishman and they'd walk by. They don't care. Elvis Presley could walk by an Inishman. The locals don't give a shit who you are, but they judge you for the first couple of weeks. And then once you get in, once you get into the rhythm and the slowness and the pace of the island, I was in heaven there and I was in heaven on the west coast of Ireland. And maybe, you know, I married a girl from the west coast of Ireland. My mum is from County Galway originally. I live in County Galway. I'm looking out now. I, I can see way over to Uchtarard and I can see the turbines out the far side of Barna. And I can see the top of Loch Corrib from the... And I love, I love the west of Ireland. And maybe then it's, it's, that's why I'm here all the time. Do a lot of people mistake you for... Do a lot of people think you're from the west of Ireland? Yeah, but they do. But they know there's a strong, a strong Navin connection. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't struggle with that. I'm like a 50 50. I'm like that garlic cheese chips. I'm just, it's, it's like just fucking navin oozes out of me. And it oozes out of me when I get back up there for, on a Friday night and I go to the chipper, or I go to the China Garden. And my, when my sons 
tell, say it to me in the back of the car and we're heading to Nav and Dad, are we, yeah, are we going to China Garden? I said, we sure are, lads. I booked it in for tomorrow night. The China Garden, Ireland's greatest Chinese restaurant. So I do have a lot of I do have a lot of love for Navin. I know it's inside me, and I have a lot of love for the Boyne, and 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 I have a lot of love for the history, and I have a lot of love for Newgrange, and I have a lot, I know there's a lot of tribal there that's inside me uh, from Navin. So I both I have the best of both worlds: a dad who was from Navin, a mum who was from Chum. I mean, if you think of those two towns, mm. two of the greatest scammer towns, two of the greatest <laughs> dodgy towns. Like wide, talk to me being wide. If you're from Navin, we invented hoodies way back in the day. We were the first, we were the first young lads to be wearing hoodies uh, in Ireland, Navin lads. And then Tum, mix the two together, and you get an amalgamation of the DNA that's inside me, which is there. Uh, I mean, Tum is the Navin of Connacht, Navin is the Tum of Leinster. Love it. <laughs> beautiful. That was so beautiful. <laughs> Okay, should we start with our questions? Absolutely. Hector, your first memory of laughter? Um, I don't think I laughed properly in, in national school. I don't think I understood the power of laughter. I don't think I had enough belly laughs. I don't think I cried laughing. And to me, laughter is, there are various stages of laughter, but my laughter, and when it is pure laughter, that makes you almost cry with tears and you can't stop and you're shaking. And the person beside you is shaking. And that's the laughter that I learned when I got to first year in school. Because every morning I would walk from my house uh, in my with bag on the back and we'd go about a mile on a country road. And I'd hit a, 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 a junction where I'd meet three other lads from a small estate called Motel. One was called Spew Cronin, Barry Cronin, who's a brilliant photographer. Barry, a well-known, well-known photographer in Ireland now. He was the funniest guy I have ever met in my life in first year. And then Paul Rogers and Mark Rogers and Alan Rogers, all the Rogers and Stephen Deegan. And then we'd all get together and we'd walk to school. And those walks to school were the first time I laughed my arse off with lads heading into school. And then so first year, second year, third year became the most fun, the funniest, maddest, full of crack time I've ever had in my life. I was finding my feet with my sense of humor. I was finding my feet with my sense of sarcasm. I was finding my seat with feet with the sense of exaggeration and being able to express myself. But these guys were allowing me to do that. And we used to stop at the train tracks about a half a mile from St. Pat's Classical School. And we used to, over the top, we'd all, have a, we'd all have a glass bottle. And we'd have this competition where we'd drop a glass bottle 50 foot right down to smash on the line of the train track. And when it, when it smashed, it would explode like a boof. So this was the worst. This is what I was doing in first year, 20 to 9 in the morning. We were exploding bottles and laughing. And Spew was brilliant with accents. He was just a funny guy. And, and Stephen Deegan and Paul Rogers, Mark Rogers, Alan Rogers, they were, they were just, it was that little group of lads. And this was before I even got into the class at nine o'clock in the morning. I was cracking up with laughter, being around all these people. And, and that's where I learned to laugh first in first year. And I met a lad called Tommy Tiernan who sat in beside me from, he was from the other side of the school. Dylan Morn was in a year behind us. It was just, these were all the people around me, but the lads like Spew and, and the Rogers, and then there was more lads, 
more country lads that came into the school. And we just laughed our way from first year to leave insert and beyond. And that's the same laughter that I love now. You mentioned a sense of humor, a sense of exaggeration. There's something there's something so important about that, I think, when it comes to being like a storyteller or, you know, someone like you or the likes of Tommy Tiernan. I think a sense of exaggeration is is so important. Like, yeah. you know, my dad would often say, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Like, but I think tapping into that is something it's not everyone can do it. Yeah, a sense of exaggeration is always good no matter if it's a score and a point where you're under 12. What was that point like? Well, it was 30 yards out on the left. And, you know, exaggeration. What was that dinner like? The dinner was, Jesus Christ, the dinner. I mean, we love exaggeration in this country. And I think we use it all the time in our daily routines, but we don't know we're using it. Was it warm? Where where were you? I was down in County Clare for the weekend. Where were you? I was over in uh, uh, Liscana. Oh, Jesus, the heat. The heat. Like, we're always talking. We love putting a little 10% exaggeration on everything. Was it expensive? It was, was it, well, how much was it? You know, it's yeah. like, um, <laughs> we love a little bit of exaggeration. And, and again, the lads, the lads that I was in school with uh, uh, had that, had all of those things mixed into one. And I knew that I could, I could talk the way I wanted to talk or we could tell stories the way we want to tell stories. Or, uh, stories always sound better. No exaggeration. <laughs> I was I was talking to my mom the other day, and uh, my dad um, started sailing at the weekend in Dublin. He has Dublin Bay cruises, and she said, "Oh, I was listening to Dad earlier. He, uh, he was on the phone to one person, and uh, they were asking how many were on this weekend. He did two hundred and sixty. A couple of minutes later, he was on to his brother Tony. How many had you? Are we two hundred and eighty-three? There it was a great first weekend. <laughs> it was going up and up as the calls went on. <laughs> <laughs> like I, two years ago I was in Siberia we did a series Siberia to Saigon in the winter time and uh, it was minus 20 something and I, I'm always telling the story two years later Roscoe my camera and sometimes I'm saying I was in Siberia two years ago it was minus 54 <laughs> like, <laughs> minus, it always goes up or minus 36 and then they go it was never minus 36 it was minus 27 but what's the difference between minus 27 and minus 36 it's fucking cold but like I love putting on <laughs> I came home from Siberia two years ago after doing that series, and it was the it was Baltic in Mongolia in February and in Siberia. And then somebody said to me in a local pub or something, said, Where are you, Hector? I said, I was in Siberia. Was it cold? I said, minus 32. Ah, but you're fucking minus 32. That's an old crispy old. That's not fucking cold. That's not like the damp cold we get here. Do you know what I, Irish people have to always tell you that they know more than you. That's not cold. That's not like the damned old cold we get here. That's a nice crispy cold. Minus 32. Okay, Hector, the first time you felt laughed at. I went to the brothers, the Christian brothers in Navin. And for the first two or three years, my kin, my, my first year, or my, my junior infants and senior infants and first class, I went to the convent in Navin. The Mercy Convent for senior infants and first class I spent in the convent for some reason and then we moved down to the new other building to go to the boys school but in the middle of first class senior infants I I, I think I wet my pants right and <laughs> I the, the nun the nun changed me 
and put a girl's pair, a pair of girls' knickers on me. And I could hear sniggering in the, I could, I, I could hear some sniggering going on. Not, 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 not I, the first sort of sneer and laughing at me, but I had to wear a girl's pair of knickers for the day. I was only 10 years, I was only five or six years of age. I know the girl that, gave, that had it, I don't know where the pair of knickers came out of, but I know that I was brought in and dried off and they took off my wet little, tiny little, the jocks you wore back then, like, I don't even know what they were. I, there was, and then I put, I had to put a girl's, a pair of girl's, knickers on me for the rest of the day and that was the first time I heard that sniggering that laughter in the background and then I always I, I, I always had a spare pair that's what I always carry a spare pair of togs with me now even through first year second year even when I'm going off traveling now if I'm going travel to Siberia somewhere I'll have about 27 pair of Calvin Klein's how many jocks do we need one two three four five six seven eight nine ten another three I haven't worn them in four years get them in jocks but uh, I suppose that was the first time I, I could hear a little bit of sniggering and a bit of, bit of that. I got a brace in first year in, in St. Pat's in Navin. And I got one little line here, but it made my ethics and uh, there's a little bit of that for the first couple, of, <laughs> first couple of days in first year. I could hear lads laughing as well a little bit. But uh, I think that moment in, in first class was when I, 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 I wet me pants, uh, as you do, and they put that a nun, a nun undressed me and put a pair of girls' knickers on me. Uh, it was a lovely moment. Uh, are, like you seem now, like maybe you weren't always this way, but were you the type of person that was well able to take a slagging in school? And I, I think probably being in an all boys, it was all boys, yes. Yeah, the, bro the brothers was all boys. And then we went to, uh, we went to Skullmore, the brothers, and then we went to Pats. But uh, I learned to develop with, the, I don't know, I know. It, maybe it's too easy for me to say that because I had red hair growing up in the, in the 80s in Ireland that you'd always get, oh, you get slagged like that and people laughing at you. I learned to develop uh, mechanisms where I maybe was said funny stuff or, or, or made funny gestures or made, made a funny facial expression or that combated the, the fact that I had red hair. I, you know, red hair in the 80s is different to red hair now, maybe, but I don't know. Are there young people in school now that get slagged because of the colour of their hair? I just don't think they're that, oh, you, you know, look at you, you redheaded, you know, you carrot top or you this or you that, your red hair. I mean, I knew I stood out in my red hair, um, but I think in today's world, I think red hair is celebrated and cherished and loved. And there's so much more going on in teenagers' lives for them to be worried about the colour of somebody's hair now, which... But you kind of you kind of have the last laugh with it as well because it's very much part of your brand, I suppose, and has been. Yeah, like there's no point, there's no point, and, and, and there's no point, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the style of hair, like, uh, like I don't know. Uh, I was the only redhead in my family. I'm the only redhead in my village. Uh, my <laughs> mum mom was black hair. My dad was dark. My brothers are dark. And I'm red hair. And there's an uncle of mine on, on my father's side in, de in Canada, and he's a redhead. And when my two boys came into the world, my wife is blonde. When my two boys came into the world and I saw their blonde hair, I was always fascinated by that redheaded gene, but it's, it's a really interesting one. And I saw a family of redheaded, a full redhead family in Galway last summer. And they were walking along Shop Street by Taps. And the dad had red hair and the mother had red hair and the kids were absolutely beautiful. There's four children. 
There was about a 16-year-old girl, a 14-year-old boy, a 12-year-old girl, a 9-year-old boy, all with red hair. And I stood back like a David Attenborough documentary and I, I, I stood back into the corner and I just went, that is on. That is so beautiful. Look at mommy's red, daddy's red. The kids are, look at them. And they're all there. And I just marveled at that wonder of Irishness that just walked by me. I wanted to go up and hug them all and I'll say, look at you, because it doesn't normally work like that. There's always one that is, this was a complete amalgamation of redness in one family. And it was beautiful. What did you, at that age where you might've been being slagged or whatever for your hair, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, professional snooker player, soccer player, all those sort of things. Steve Davis was a massive, it's, uh, we loved snooker at the time and we loved going in and playing snooker and Steve Davis was, was, was winning all them world titles and he was a redhead and he was rewriting the, the, the history books there and snooker player or soccer player, basically that's most young lads, pool player, snooker player, soccer player. There was nothing like I want to be a teacher. I want to do this. There was nothing. I didn't have any direction. I didn't have any direction. And, I, and that's something very interesting now that how do we really know what we want to be? How do we really know that at 15? And the pressure put on young people in school, in today's curriculum and type of schooling that we're having in majority in this country is completely arseways. Well, we'll talk about how you got to, to broadcasting and all that in, in a bit. But for now, Hector, mm. the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. So outside our house in, uh, in Navan, it was a bungalow, a 70s bungalow. We used to play down in a field. Uh, there was a tree, a massive tree. And we used to play down in that field with all the lads from that spew and uh, all the Rogers, all the boys, all my brothers. We'd go out and we just play at the tree. I mean, we just hang out in a field for seven or eight hours. Countryside, having the crack until your dinner is ready, come back in for your dinner. Even though we were only a mile or two outside an Avon, it was pure countryside. So we put up a sort of a, 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 a swinging thing. We could, we could swing on this, this rope. We put the wood on it. It was pretty high up, but we could climb the tree and jump out and, sw and swing and do all this. So we were just messing up there. But in the summer, there would be thousands of nettles underneath. Now, I mean thousands of nettles. And we'd be all going around milky white, mead Caucasian skin with the short, which are, which are football shorts on, and we'd be getting sunburned and all this stuff. But you would always remember that when you jumped out, you cleared the nettles. Now, the nettles were four or five foot high. These were good Irish nettles. I mean, nettles nowadays, you have to go into a health shop to see nettles. You can't get them anymore. Nettles, nettles aren't what they used to be. Like, fuck's sake, when, when's the last time we were all stung by nettles? Everybody should be stung by nettles just to feel Irish. You know what I mean? We don't do it anymore. So my brother, my older brother, Freddie, <laughs> was up on top and he was giving it the tires and then, oh, 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 He's gone up and down and up and down. And he had only a small pair of shorts on. But didn't he slip? And he disappeared into the nettles. And we all started laughing. <laughs> and we could just see the nettles. And he's like, oh, oh. and then it started. And then as he emerged from the nettles, coming up like polka dots really quickly on his back and on his stomach. And all these like pebble dash pimples started. And so he started 
He started running. He started half crying. I didn't know whether to laugh. I was running back behind him. His other brother was coming behind me. The other boys were going, we'll come on as well. So we all ran back to our house. And as he was getting to his house, he's going, oh, he's bawling his arse. He was, he was, I'd say he had four or 500 stings all over his body. Like, where do you start putting the calamine lotion? When my mother opened the back door, she's like, Jesus Christ almighty, what the name of Jesus is Ireland in the 80s? What the Jesus? And we were all at the back door and we're all, and he's like, oh, and his arse was stung and his willy was stung and his, he, had, he had nettle stings every part of his body. <laughs> so she was getting yogurt and calamine. Remember the calamine lotion? Yeah. The smell of it was caking in on him like a mummy and he was like, oh, and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. We were all there going, what are we sure? And then we just, we just laughed. We couldn't cry. We just laughed. But it was the <laughs> funniest thing. To see a human being stung six or 700 times by nettles. And one minute he was giving it the, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was great. Nettles. It just shows you the power of nettles. Was he all and, right uh, in the end? He was, yeah, but he had a rough out 24 hours. But there was no antihistamines. <laughs> I mean, there was no Zyrtex. No, like nowadays, I'm after getting a nettle sting, you mean you get one sting. I'll get, get, the, get, the, get, the, get the antihistamine. Ring the doctor and get, oh yeah, get the Zyrtex or the Pyrtex. Zyrtex. Pyrtex. Oh, Pyrtex, yeah, get the Zyrtex. The Puritan, yeah, 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 yeah. Get an antihistamine or it'll take it right down. Oh, for fuck's sake. Take it right down. Get a dock leaf and rub it on it. No, I, yeah. When you hear me going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's that Irish brigade. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the, mother, the complaining mother at the school gate kind of thing. Oh, I get, oh, I, oh get an antihistamine into him ASAP. <laughs> You've got four. You've got four-year-olds now going around. I've got awful hay fever. Four years of age. I've got awful hay. What do you want? I, what have you got? I've got Pertex. What have you? I've. Oh, I have a new one. This is a do- four years of age. Fuck's sake. Okay, Hector, your no laughing matter moment in life. Um, I'm lonely now because I've lost my mum and my dad. I feel lonely. I felt lonely since I lost my mum suddenly a couple of years ago. And my dad had died 30 years before that. But I feel lonely now that uh, that me and my brothers are remaining. I feel lonely that I've lost my mother, my Irish mother, my mother. It's a different feeling from losing your dad. Why? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. She was my mother. She... she different circumstances in every household but my mother was the one who reared us my mother did everything my mother my mother celebrated every single thing that I ever did from buying my first nice car from buying a Fiat Punto to buying a brand new Mercedes my mother started crying when she saw me with a Mercedes I never thought we'd ever ever have a Mercedes in the house and when she said stuff like that to me you know I made her I think I made her proud but she was a really proud West of Ireland woman who had who had a uh, tough enough, tough enough time there rearing us in their teenage years, and uh, I miss, I miss her sense of humour. She had such a strong faith in the Lord. I swear to God, did she love the man above? And I, 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 I don't. I think the next generation and our generation, we will never understand the power that faith has for so many of our parents and our grandparents. 
she got so much humor and solace and strength from the man above. She was an amazing woman, West of Ireland woman. Um, and she fell in love with my dad in London. She worked for on post the uh, post office in England. Uh, she came from Tume originally. But um I know, I know I don't laugh when I think of that, even though my mum makes me happy when I think of her, but I'm sad that I've lost my mum. I feel lonely. That's it's it's a hard thing to explain. Mm. Me and my brothers are the only ones remaining. Uh and when I see other people and their their parents are living into longer life and later on, every situation is different. But my mum died. Like I was talking to my mum on a on a on a Sunday night in a hotel in Dublin, and I'm on Today FM the next morning, filling in for Anton Savage, and I did the show. And then I was talking to her, and she seemed a little bit. She had a chest infection, and then the next day she died. She died, and I walked in and I found my mum. I walked in, I walked in and I found my mum because she didn't answer the phone all that day and I drove to Nav and unfortunately my mum had passed away that night and uh, and uh, your body kicks into overdrive. So she was there one moment and then she was gone the next. I talked to her on a Sunday night at 10 o'clock and I walked in at two o'clock the next day and I found my mum. She had passed away in her sleep. So uh, I miss my mum and I miss... it's it's so interesting what you say about um about faith because my actually i know you mentioned my dad but he just seems he's he's he has a lot of words of wisdom but he talks about it a lot recently and how a lot of people like these days they they just they don't have a faith faith in anything really you know whether it's they're they're turning their back on the catholic church or Mm. and he thinks it's missing hugely from people's lives and that they won't they might notice it now but they will notice it yeah and and it's yeah and i kind of feel it and, and it wasn't until he said it because i don't go to mass i don't pray and uh and it probably is a massive hole in people's lives these days like do, would you do you pray do you have faith no i i, I have faith in my neighbors i have faith in my the people around me in this parish that I'm living in, I have faith in the local GA club, I have faith in the under-17s that I'm coaching now, I have faith in my young lads, I have faith in my wife, I have faith in my good bunch of friends that I have. And that, to me, is my sense of community. I have faith in the guys I work with all the time. I have faith within editors that we work with or anyone that's been with me and, you know, the lads that we work together. They're the people I have faith with, those immediate circles of people that you have, those pods. And they're the most important pods that we have. And maybe back 50 years ago, 40 years, excuse me, and 30 years ago, that the church was a big part of that, the pod. I mean, what's the difference of standing on the sideline of a pitch with parents of all the same age and feeling together? That's church. That's a church. That's a church, Darren. So yeah. uh, that's it. So I, I'm not, I, I am, I believe in people, faith of people, and the church needs to. The church has maybe they had the church has not the church that my mother w- worshipped in has changed so much from the church that is there now. It's totally different, and life has changed an awful lot. But the core values of of, of being nice, saying hello to each other, and I love talking to complete and utter randomers and strangers at petrol stations and shops, and when they stop me to say something in a car park, Jesus, give I just love that because. 
those randomers and those ordinary people are the best people. They're the people. I used to call them the soldiers of the dawn on that on the breakfast radio. And we were there during that recession making breakfast radio on, on 2FM. And I called them the soldiers of the dawn. And still people come up to me going, Hector, I'm a soldier of the dawn. What are you? I'm a postman up in West. I said, oh, nice to meet you. So many great people out there. I think I have faith in great people. And those are the same people that are surrounding me in my work and at the club and my wife and my kids and and all those those you have to have faith in them, Kieran. If you don't have if we don't have faith in them, who have we got faith in? Well, talking about people brings us perfectly onto the person you always laugh with, Hector. Uh, oh, there's so many, but I have to say my wife. She's a Clare woman. I met her when she was 18 years of age. We danced the Clare set together. She's a tradition musician. She was at a at the Oireachtas Festival. Uh, I'll never forget that first night I met her in a hotel in Glen Colum Kill on the on the on the cliffs in Donegal. And we I said, and you need to rink a lumbla the hull. And she went, Zany Augusta. And then she brought me into a world of the Clare set. And 37 minutes later, <laughs> <laughs> by Jesus Christ Almighty, when I saw her dancing, I went, I went, whoa. And she spoke Irish and she was from Clare. And she played tradition music. I just went. And she was studying first year NUIG Spanish. She went on to become a Spanish lecturer in college. And I went, who is this girl here? And you know, it's funny because when I was living on the Aran Islands, six or seven months, a year later, she was doing an Erasmus in Bilbao. And I followed her from the Aran Islands to Bilbao. What? And then she moved back and I stayed. And I spent four years. And that's where I learned my Spanish language. And then I followed her back to Salt Hill in Galway. And then I married her in Brazil. And a man from Limerick baptized our children, Shanna Gold and Father John Cribben, because <laughs> he was back in Ireland. But we got married in Brazil with six of us in the church in Rio de Janeiro. And, uh, and here we are still together. She's my best friend. And she knows when I'm up and I'm down. She knows when I'm tired. She knows, when I, she knows what I look like when I'm drunk and I'm bananas. She knows what I look like when I'm sober. <laughs> she knows what I look like when I'm tired. She knows what I look like when I'm a little pain in my butt. I'm a little pain. She knows every single facial expression that I make. She knows, she, knows, she knows everything. And she knows how to make me laugh. And we've always had that laughter that, you know, when you meet someone at that age and I was on the dole. Like even she saw me when I got my first job in television, 1999, 2000. She, she was with me in the kitchen when I said, they're after going, I think I've got the job. I think I've got the fucking job. I'm going out to America to interview a load of people for TG Carr. And like 20 years later, I'm still traveling the world for TG Carr on the same show with the same two guys. Like she was there. I was there. Look, 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 look. This is a cunt. Right? This is a cunt. She was there. <laughs> You know, she was there. She was there when I got, she was there. So she's the girl that, she's the lady, she's the woman she, beside me, not behind me, beside me, beside every man is an even better woman. That is stunning, Hector. If anyone ever speaks about me like that, I'll die happy. <laughs> she's a, and she's a clear woman. Up the banner. Up the banner. Dora Bearfield on the parish. <laughs> okay, Hector, a time where you had the last laugh. I went, I tried to get, I tried to get onto a, a television course back in Galway when I was on the dole. I was in between jobs and I was on the dole and I did the presenting course for six months. So I did a, no, I did a TV show for six months. I think I did TV three. I was doing the children's afternoon stuff with 
cartoons and Ren and Stimpy and I did and then that fell up that fell and I was back on the dole and I was going what am I going to do because I've always been a freelancer I've never worked for any I've never taken a contract it's always been work off nothing six weeks six months work work so that's the way I have always been in my career um but I went to the Galway film center whatever it's crack and they had this presenters course and then Dipna said to me one day in the in the flat and I'm on the dole getting me fucking rent allowance and she's there. Have a look at this. They're doing some sort of a course up in the film. Why don't you go and try and do a, a presenting course? I said, oh, sure, I'm going to give it a try. So I went up and I did the interview. And I'd never, I'd, I, I, I don't think, I think I'd done six months with something. That was all I had. And they were there. And three people sat across. And I said, I'm really into television. And I'd love to get into all of that. Then. And I, get, I thought I did a good interview to get on a course to go into broadcasting or some sort of a course, TV production. And this lady said to me, I think, I think this isn't for you. And I think I just, I know you've done stuff, but no, I, we're, we're not going to give you a place on the course or whatever. And I just fucking, I just said to myself, what is it about? What, what, what qualifications do you have to have to get into a world like this? And uh, not that I had the last laugh, but it didn't deter me in trying to go to auditions or TV shows or sending my CV out. I made a CV back in the day. It was luminous orange paper. And I used to send it into production companies and it had all sorts of wealth. But then, do you know the way hobbies, <laughs> you know, then the end, before the references, hobbies. So I put down scuba diving, surfing, snooker, <laughs> snorkeling, sweet and sour sauce making I put a bit I just put down loads of S's just to see would I get someone's attention yeah and, and luminous yellow pay, orange paper because everyone's CV remember back in the day oh making your CV yeah yeah have a look yeah there's a reference here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. BA honours degree and yeah 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 and I was fucking and my I had no honours like I failed in Trinity I was 16 doing my leave insert I was 17 getting my ID card going into Trinity College. I hadn't a clue. And I went to Dublin and <laughs> I learned about Furstenberg and lots of other stuff. It was fantastic. I was 17 up in Dublin in, a, in Fidsborough and Stony Batter. With, and it was just fantastic. Did I go to college? I was in Trinity College way too young. But, I mean, but look at maybe that, maybe that. That person who said, I don't think this is for you, didn't deter me. I said, what's for me? Who's to know what's for me? Who's to know what's for you? Everybody has to go down a road and take a left turn or a right turn, come to a crossroads. Should I go right? Should I go left? Should I go straight on? My mother always said, all good things come to those who wait. She always said that to me. And I was on a bus and Tommy Tierno was on the back of the bus at me coming back from Galway. He, we were about 28, 29 and I had a puppy in a box and Tommy sat in beside me and, uh, and he said, what's the story? And he was down there working for the Simon community, uh, work, living in the area. I was, I was down hanging around with Dipna. The two of us were going back to Navin at Christmas. He wasn't a comedian at this stage. And I got into the house in Navin and I had a puppy in the box, chunky, and I put him out and I says, and I said, man, when am I ever going to get a car? Like I'm 28 years of age and I'm coming up on a bus to go. We're like, what is it all about? What is life all about? What the fuck? Buses come to Kinney Garden, and she goes, All things good, all things come to those who wait. Just wait, just wait, wait, and things will happen. And that's the advice I will give to anyone 
at any stage in career or life. All good things come to those who just go, wait. And what's for you won't pass you. Oh, the Claire, that's the Claire. That's the Claire <laughs> one. Okay, Hector, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? Uh, because I know what Ireland smells like. I know what home smells like. I know the taste and the smell and the, every one of my senses about home. Home. Whether it's a, a nice, fresh quilt sheet on the bed on a Sunday night and you know it's after being out in the, on the line all day on a summer's day and you change the quilt and you get into your favourite bed with your favourite smell of quilt cover. I know the smell of home. I know what my clothes smell like when they come out of my own washing machine. I know what my wife's favourite when she does a chicken risotto with chorizo smells like. I know what my favourite cup of tea is like. I know what my favourite part of the couch is like. I know what my favourite programmes are. I know how to lie in my favourite bed. I know the smell of my garden. I mean, there was a time, there was two years, three years ago, we were being in Central America and we were doing a series all the way through Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, all the way coming up. We'd been away for three months. And our final flight was Belize, the islands of Belize off, the, off Mexico, to Atlanta, Atlanta to LA, LA to London, all in one go, different flights. But we were traveling for two days and two nights, LA to London. And then we got on the Aer Lingus flight to Dublin. And then I got on a City Link or a Brooks bus to Galway. And at about half past 12, two and a half days later, after leaving, leaving a tropical island of Belize, in 35 degrees heat, the Burks bus, which the depot was out past me on the way to Tune, they gave me an extra lift out from the station. So after putting my suitcase on a flight leaving Belize that went to Atlanta, that went to LA, that went to London, that went to Dublin, that went into the bottom of the bus, they dropped me at the head of my road. And when I got out of that bus and I smelt the silage that was cut that day in the local fields, the hay that was baled, the freshness of the summer growth along the hedgerow. And I knew I was walking a couple of hundred yards to my home. And I knew every part of my body was taken in home. The smell, the, my, the, the sounds. I, to, to me, home is home, home, home. And only, I think, Irish, we all have home. But man, do we love a home in Ireland? Do we love home? Nettles and all. Nettles and all. <laughs> I love the that. smell of home. Love it. Home. You can have brilliant things in your life, but if you've got a home, what else do you need? Are you ready for your quick fire round? Yes, I was doing a bit of work on that one. Go on. <laughs> okay, the actor you always laugh at. Um, my favourite. Things I laugh at, I like. I, lo I, I love stuff off the BBC. I love the English sense of humour and the comedy. Some great stuff coming through. But BBC W1A, the piss take about being the inner workings of the BBC. It was on for about five years there. It's called BBC W1A, and Hugh Bonneville's in it, and Jason Watkins, and all those brilliant Jessica Hines. Have you seen it? No, but you have to pick one actor from it. Jason Watkins. Oh, for fuck's sake! Have you seen? Do you know Jason Watkins? Yes. Have yeah, you yeah. seen? 
He's got that skinny little red hair, and he's he. Have you seen BBC W1A? No. Well, you you work in a TV station and you work in a radio station. This is the biggest piss take of being. It's like the best. It's like Ricky Gervais and an idiot abroad and extras, everything like that, and thrown into the working environment of the BBC. It's the super. It's the funniest thing the BBC have produced in years. Jason Watkins is a chief TV executive commissioning editor. It's fucking brilliant. He's brilliant. He's one of my favorite British actors. Okay, it's on my list. I'm going to watch it. The actress that always makes you laugh. Oh, uh, there's two of them that are in that series. I'm going to stick with the series. I want everyone to watch BBC W1A because it's the greatest piss take of any people who work in television. Because we spoke earlier about what qualifications do you need to have to work in radio or TV. Fuck that shit. This is a complete and utter piss take of the people that work in a major company that happen to make TV. And there's two actors in it, Monica Dolan or Jessica Hines. I'm just going to publicize BBC W1A for the next four minutes. <laughs> any of the any of the female actors in it, they are so good in at their meetings, you know. Okay, anybody got any new ideas for a new bra- drama series, BBC Two mid-morning? It's just, it's it's beautiful stuff. And there's so many great British actresses in it that are so funny. Uh, you have to watch it. Okay, it's on my list. The movie that always makes you laugh. Uh, one of the best movies I've ever seen is Steve Martin. From Steve Martin. I watch it once a year and it's called The Jerk. 1979. He, he's, have you seen it? No. He is, you know Steve Martin? Yes. Steve Martin plays a, a white kid who has grown up in a black family in Mississippi and he thinks he's black. But he's not black. He's white. But he does everything like the rest of the family. And it's called The Jerk. And it is the funniest film you will see in years. And he goes off to he goes off to find his fame and fortune in St. Louis. And he 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 doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't realize he's white. I think it's a very interesting juxtaposal positioning, but it's called The Jerk, 1979. He's there waving goodbye to all the family and the, all the black family, they're all sitting there in deep Mississippi and I've been over these days and they're all, hey, good luck, son. he's on the rocking chair, the old granddaddy. Hey, you all the best, dad. All, they're all saying there's about 25 in the family all go, goodbye now. He said, I'm off to St. Louis to find my fame and fortune. I'll see you whenever. And he goes to the, out the gate of the house and he puts his hand out to hitch. <laughs> Nobody comes along and then a day, <laughs> and then six hours later, he's still outside the house. <laughs> And then two days later, he's still outside the house. It's just Steve Martin is absolutely, he's a genius. And I, uh, it's called The Jerk. The comedian that always makes you laugh. My two favourite comedians. Um, Kevin Bridges is Scotland. Whatever, he, whatever twist Kevin puts on it, he's absolutely superb. One of my favourite comedians of all time is Kevin Bridges in Scotland. And my other favourite is Jim Jeffries from America. Have you ever seen Jim Jeffries? No. He he just, Jim Jeffries just takes the most mundane stuff and turns it into absolute joy. He's he's brilliant. He's he, his, his way he, he, he takes ordinary things, uh, uh, whatever he's talking about, he's brilliant. Jim Jeffries and Kevin Bridges. And finally, Hector, your best or worst joke? I'm an, I, I don't like, I, I, I don't like long jokes. I like I like simple jokes. I like one-line jokes. I like those what you call somebody who's somebody something. So I'm going to give you my rapid fire. What you call? What you call? Uh, what you call a woman between two buildings? Go on. Elaine. So I know they're stupid, but <laughs> they're like they're like the ones you get out of a cracker. 
I just like those ones. What do you call a man with a hundred rabbits up his bum? Oh God. Uh... Warren. Warren. <laughs> what do you call a man lying? What do you call a boy lying in a load of leaves? It just, it's plays on words. It, they're so silly. These are stupid. I don't, I don't know. Go on. Russell. Russell. Ah, for God's sake. Ah. Uh, yeah. My best do. one is, what do you call a woman who works in the water department at the local county council? Go on. Flow. <laughs> I know, that cat, aren't they? I mean, jokes, nobody tells jokes anymore like you did in school. They go on and on and on and on. I mean, where do we see jokes now? Who tells I jokes? Know. I know D- Dave and the boys on D- Today FM, they do, um, yeah. they do their best jokes. Jokes, we should never underestimate a good joke. We don't get told jokes. We don't get told jokes like we used to get t- told no, jokes. No, we don't. Hector, before we wrap this up, do you have any advice for me with Breakfast Radio? Bed early. Stay off the coffee. Play the music you want to play. I know they've got playlists now where they say to you, you have to play this. You have to play that. I left the microphone on once on national radio. and <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> and uh, what was your one's name, the blondie one from England? Ellie Golding. Oh, for <laughs> Where did you hear about that? Where did you, what did you hear? Well, you, you weren't listening live that morning, were you? No? Hector, it went viral. Fucking any... Uh, my words were... What's the next song here? What's the next song coming up on the playlist? Ellie, Ellie Golding. Ah, fucking Ellie Golding. She does my fucking head in. Fucking Ellie Golding. And next minute, next minute the every... Oh, the, the M50 just came alive going, that's the best bit of radio I've ever heard in my life. Oh, la, 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 la. Uh, <laughs> I used to do a handover. I used to do a handover with Ryan Tuberty uh, from that junction. Oh, junction. Oh, there's another word for radio, the junction. The junction between five to nine and nine o'clock. So Ryan would come on talking, you know? Yeah. Ryan was on 2FM at the time. And uh, he was always... Ha- probing and pulling the mickey in a, in a tuberty way getting away with it and then one day he said something to me and I went Ryan you're only a bollocks you're, oh. only, a fo- you're only a bollocks and he just froze <laughs> I said what why are you freezing it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just so what we're allowed to say the word bollocks it's breaking who cares people use it all the time we curse in this country I mean we curse in Ireland and then he goes you're not allowed to say things I said who said we're not allowed I said, you're only an old bollocks. There's no harm in that. So it was those little moments. Don't, 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 don't call Ryan Tuberty a bollocks. <laughs> and I filled in for, I'll tell you a good story. Jerry Ryan, right? Jerry Ryan. I used to go to Cheltenham doing that with Paddy Power. For 10 years, we did those live reports from Cheltenham, which was like fucking two Irish guys. It was just debauchery because we'd be so hungover and we'd be talking about, we'd have all Nina Carberry and all the winners. But I filled in for Jerry Ryan uh, he died suddenly, and I filled in the week before he passed away because he was away filling for Ryan Confidential. So I'm in with all the RTE, Jerry Ryan producers, and all his team, and they're like, Hector, okay, you ready for Yeah, you ready to fill in? Okay, uh, okay, just going through some of the stuff from, for, this, for the show. And then they went, okay, first song, ABBA, gimme, gimme, gimme. And I went, ABBA? We're playing ABBA? We're not playing ABBA. We're playing Basement Jacks. We're playing Groove Armada because it's May. And I will go, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to play Super Styling by Groove Armada. And all these people are like, Super Styling, Groove Armada. Who the? And I went, ladies and gentlemen, this is Hector filling in for Jerry Ryan. It's the 2nd of May. Blah, blah, blah. The sun is shining. How the hell are you? 
And then it was something on it. Super styling up here. And then I said, my mates are listening to the radio. And that's the, I'll leave you with this, Darren. If your mates are listening to the radio, never forget that that bit of music you play is, is, is as important as what you talk about. But the music can, can, can be 50 times more powerful. A good song at the right time is worth its weight in gold. Hector, change your playlist. Change your playlist. Sneak in and go. <laughs> Fucking Ellie Golding. She does my head in. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine driving that round Kilkee or Kilrush at, at, at 10 to 9 and, and the microphone was left up and you're dropping the kids off to school? Did he just say fucking Ellie Golding does his head in? Love Hector. Love love Hector. Always love Hector. Because she does my fucking head in too. <laughs> with the fucking... Yeah. Oh my God. Hector O'Hockagon, thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Uh, it was a pleasure, Darren. And congratulations on the podcast and all that you do. You make a lot of people laugh. And I was really looking forward to it, uh, to do it. And... Um, I'm delighted I've done it and I'm delighted to talk to you. Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life with Hector O'Huckagon. I really hope you enjoyed it. That was the final episode of season five of The Laughs of Your Life podcast. I actually feel a bit emotional. It's been just over two years since I started the podcast and I've only had five seasons and actually I've taken pretty big breaks between a couple of the seasons. So there aren't that many episodes. Um, if there's some that you've missed, make sure you do dip into them before I come back with season six. And this time, you'll have the shortest wait ever. I'll be back the first week in August for season six of The Last of Your Life. And I'm so excited for that. If you've never liked, subscribed, rated or reviewed, now would be a really lovely time to do it. Between now and August, have a fabulous summer. Mind yourselves, stay safe and I'll see you very soon. This podcast is recorded with Collaborative Studios and this season has been brought to you by Aussie Hair. Thank you so much, Aussie. Great hair. No worries.